I'm being recorded for history. <laughs> Thank you, Adya. That was the wonderful question. And uh, I agree absolutely because there will be times when you will maybe revisit a book and find your younger self somewhere in the pages as a reader. And that's such a profound thought. And you feel so good about that because you'll find a little bit of yourself again. Agastya, would you like to go next, please? Uh, yes. Uh, good evening, ma'am. Uh, my name is Agastya. Uh, and I would like to ask you the question. Uh, did you ever feel that words are powerful? I, I believe Agastya's uh, voice was not clear. I believe he wanted okay. to ask you did you ever feel that words are powerful oh i think all of us who and and clearly that's all of you in this group as well as me uh we are people who who love words and language and appreciate them and and what we appreciate really is the power uh, of language the power of words the power of storytelling uh, which, which affect, can affect us so profoundly. Uh, not a lighthearted little story, but but books that per, that propel the reader to think and to change, as we just discussed, <clears throat> by the process. Uh, yes, I, I think that's a very powerful uh, way to to spend our our time and our thought. Uh, by entering the world of a story and by feeling ourselves changed by it. There are a few things more powerful than that. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I think the next person who's on the list is Ayan. Ayan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I, I'm Ayan. We all read The Giver and we were all blown away. We wondered what may have inspired you, and we searched and found the answer. Okay. But we still wonder. But we still wonder which characters or scenes ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> um, I have to think back a long way because The Giver was published before you were born. Uh, it was written in 1993 or 94, probably 93, 92. And uh, interestingly, I, you, you asked an interesting question, which scenes ended up on the cutting room floor? And of course, part of the process of writing a book is selecting what will go in. And sometimes you write things that you take out. But uh, The Giver was written pretty, uh, the word I want. Uh, it wasn't, I started to say easily. It wasn't an easy book to write, of course, but it was very straightforward. Uh, I don't think that I went back and took anything out, um, except one thing. Now I'm remembering. Okay. When I wrote the book at the beginning, and I always, as I told you already, I think, I make it up as I go along. I don't know everything that's going to happen. So partway through the book, it occurred to me that there was no color, that he wasn't seeing color. And I hadn't realized that up until that time. And it seemed a wonderful 
device to use in the book for the plot of the book. And I didn't want the reader to know right away that that was true. But I then looked back at what I'd written many, many pages, and I had to take out, I had to put on the cutting room floor, as you say, every reference to color. And I always, in books, I, I tend to see them very visually when I'm writing them. I can see them in my mind. And so I, I describe things as I see them. And of course, I had described the landscape, the houses, the boys' bedroom, uh, and and I had mentioned colors, and I had to go back and make everything colorless. And in the scene where he sees color for the first time, it's because he and his friend, Asher, are throwing a ball back and forth. You remember that scene? <laughs> Except in the book, it's an apple. Uh, because if they had no color in that community, why would he have a red ball? Why would they have manufactured a red ball? Uh, so I had to go back and make it something natural. He begins to see color in, in grass, green, and he sees it first in the red apple. Uh, but everything in which he sees color is a natural object. There is nothing manufactured in his community that has color. But it took me a while to realize that, and I had to go back and correct that in, in the writing. I'm trying to remember other things, but, but for the most part, there wasn't much that I had to change after, after I wrote it. People wished that I had changed the ending, readers, many, uh, because they, they didn't know at the end of the book whether the boy and the baby were alive or dead. But I liked the ending, which let the reader use their imagination, his or her imagination, and decide for themselves. And then much later, I went on to write, I don't know if you have there, there are three books that follow The Giver. So there are four altogether, and in this country, they call them The Giver Quartet. And I'll just, well, I, I shouldn't go on about that because I don't know if you've read those other books, but if you have questions about the others, I, I, can, I can talk more about that, about the quartet. But that's the answer to the cutting room floor question. I had to cut the red ball and turn it into an apple. And I had a choice. I could have made it an orange and then that's the color he would have seen. But red seems to me to be the most primal color. And so that's the one I chose, the apple. Yeah, I think uh, that was the portion that I found most disturbing. That you couldn't see colors. Though, you know, as uh, we know or uh, we've heard that, you know, when you dream, you don't dream in color. But I choose to believe that I would be dreaming in color. I, I don't know. It's very difficult for me to imagine a world without color. I mean, it's difficult. It's, it, it bothered me. Honestly, yeah. it did bother me quite a bit that their world did not have color. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, the next person who wants to ask you a little something is Nikita. Hi. Um, so I wanted to ask you what your writing kryptonite is. Could you repeat her question? I didn't quite hear the, the yeah. last part. 
So I wanted to know what your writing kryptonite is. Would you you repeat what she said? She wanted to know what is your writing kryptonite. It's a Superman reference. Yes, it's a Superman reference. But otherwise, in other words, what is your writing Achilles heel? Now say that one more time. Um, the the sound is getting a little difficult here. Just describe it uh-huh. to me one more time, and and I, I did hear the Superman reference. Okay, so what Superman. is your writing Achilles heel? <laughs> I'm still not hearing it. Okay, it's it's. Do you have a you do you have an Achilles heel when it comes to writing? Do you have a weakness? Oh, an Achilles heel. Oh, okay. That's an interesting question. I have to think about that now for a minute. I, you know, there are various elements of writing a story. There is the characters that you create, the characters. There is the setting that you create. There's the dialogue that you write. All of those things go together. And, and the thing that I have the most trouble with is the most important thing, I suppose. No, I think actually the most important thing is the characters. But plot, what happens that causes the next thing to happen and affects the next thing, and that's how the story moves along. And that's the part that I have to work hard at. It's very easy for me to create a character. And it's easy for me to create a setting and place the character in the setting. I don't know if you have read the second book in the Giver Quartet. It's called Gathering Blue. And the main character is a girl. She appeared in my imagination. It was easy for me to describe her and give her a name. And then do you remember that I told you that I try to begin a book with a sense that something needs to be fixed, something's wrong in the world of that person. And that book begins with dialogue. It's easy for me to put words in the mouths of characters. And the book, I don't have the book here in front of me, but I think I can quote it accurately. It begins this way. Mother, there was no answer. She hadn't expected one. Her mother had been dead now for four days. So it begins with a girl seated next to the body of her mother, which certainly gives the reader a sense that something is terribly wrong. Uh, She's in, shortly it's described, a terrible place, a a field uh, with, with dead bodies in it, and her mother is one of them. And so that's got to be explained and corrected as the book goes along. And now I've forgotten why I mentioned that particular book, but it's an example of the character, the setting. Yes, I was creating a setting, as I did in the book, The Giver. I created a setting, a town, a community of the future where things would be very orderly and and rigid. But now in the second book, we're in a different place and it's very primitive. In the first book, their technology had advanced to the point that they could control everything, including color. But now in the second book, it's very primitive. 
there's no electricity, there's no plumbing. I didn't realize when I began to write that book that it would be connected to the giver. But I was getting so much mail from readers wanting to know what had happened to Jonas that as I wrote the second book, and now it's several years later after the first book, I began to realize I could connect them. And so I, I, I placed this girl in a community that is existing in the same time as, as Jonas's world, but things have gone differently for them because of some kind of apocalyptic events. They have lost all their technology and they've been reverted to a very primitive state. And at the end of the book, she, she, the girl, is told that in another community there is a boy with blue eyes and he's her age. When I first wrote it, I said his name is Jonas, but the editor at the publishing company asked me to take that reference out so that it wouldn't depend upon the first book. But every kid who read it, who had read The Giver, recognized Jonas. And then in the books that follow, two succeeding books, the people from the first two books are, are now become part of the, the uh, larger population of books. And by the fourth book, their, their futures are all explained and, and uh, you get to see them work everything out in the end. And now I've forgotten the question I was asked. I was, I was uh, oh, okay, the Achilles. Uh, question. Um, so the thing, the thing that I find most difficult <clears throat> is plot. If I could just write a book about people and where they are and the community in, in which they live, that would be very easy for me. Uh, but I have to give them adventures. <laughs> so those are the things that I have to think hard about. And that's the hardest part for me. Wonderful. Then maybe it's time for an autobiography. That would be easy. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this episode. But there's more to come. Which book does Louise think is her best work yet? Why she never emerges contented after writing a book? What superpower can put an end to the wars in the world? How did the personal loss of losing a child and a childhood friend affect the book? And do books provide an armor to a child? Will the children of the future recognize a real book when they see one? The answer to all these questions is just round the corner, coming up on next Friday. Until then, happy reading.